Hello and a very warm welcome to the Proximo Energy and Infrastructure podcast. This is your host, Thomas Hopkins, reporting to you from London. On this week's episode, I take a look at a new interconnector project between Mali and Guinea, which has been part financed by the EIB. I caught up with Benoit Cambier, an investment officer at the EIB who worked on the deal, and with the EIB's head of EIB regional representation for West Africa, Jane Feehan, to discuss the project and the West African power pool. Thank you, Jane and Benoit, for joining me on the podcast today. I thought I would start with some questions for Benoit, because we can talk about ben, with Benoit about the project more specifically, and then move on to some more general questions for Jane about the EIB's role in West Africa and the interconnector sector more broadly. Uh, Benoit, could you tell me a bit about the project and the history of its development? Hi, um, thank you for, for having me here. And um, uh, yeah, I mean, I hope that you have a bit of time because it's a, a long answer that I will provide you with. In fact, there are, there are two main components to that project that came um, consecutively. So first you have the interconnector per se and the Nissan permit transmission line. Um, the project was originated back mid 2017 after having been discussed in the uh, WAP donors coordination meeting. At that time, it, it focused originally on, on the Guinea-Mali interconnector. And that first component consists in the implementation of a 225 kV electricity interconnector of approximately yeah, 715 kilometers between Guinea and Mali. We have, of course, uh, several substations all along the, the line. Um, the project also includes several, as I mentioned, uh, substation, but also uh, associated distribution network uh, supporting uh, rural electrification uh, along the line route. The original loan for this project um, was approved and signed in 2018. And the IB agreed to finance the Guinean part of the operation to be realized through uh, Electricité de Guinée, which is in fact a well-known promoter to the bank of uh, earlier hydropower electrification and, and regional transmission projects. The, um, the IB's original loan covered a 700 kilometers long transmission line between the two countries uh, with um, um, a 130 million euro loan, a 25 year duration, contracted with the Republic of Guinea and on land via its Ministry of Finance to the promoter, Electricité de Guinée. As you know, beside that, over transmission line projects are identified under the West Africa Power Pool with the aim to integrate um, the, the national power system into an unified regional electricity network and uh, therefore to provide in the medium and, and long-term a regular and reliable access to, to energy uh, and then the competitive cost, of course, for, for the citizens of, uh, of the region. The Linsan Fermi transmission line was and still is one of these projects, um, consisting in the development of a double circuit 225 kV line, approximately three and 40 kilometers long, connecting the Linsan substation to the Fermi substation in Guinea. This project also includes the construction of uh, substations uh, in Dabola and Kurusa, uh, the connection of the existing networks of these localities to the substation, and of course, the development of a rural electrification network in the regions, again, along the route of the transmission line. Um, this Linsan Fermi uh, transmission line was initially expected to be financed by the Export Board, 
Export Import Bank of China. Um, however, um, after some discussions with the government, they decided uh, to withdraw the commitment. And, um, and the question of the financing was put back on the table during the WAP donors coordination meeting in the first quarter of 2020. Then that's where we came in, uh, because co considering the strong complementarity of this line with the original uh, EIB project about uh, the, the interconnector, the bank has proposed to integrate the Linsan formula into the EIB financing for the Guinea-Mali interconnector operation. Indeed, the Linsan-Mali transmission line was already considered in the economic appraisal of the interconnection électrique in, uh, the Guinea-Mali interconnector, uh, interconnector project. Um, only some updates have been required of the ESA studies and, and of some associated investment figures. So in terms of you know, technical works, uh, for us, it was quite obvious that that would be something not so complicated to do. Um, and the fact that why the Linsan family transmission line was already included in the bank's economic appraisal of the interconnector was simply because of the importance um, of its contribution to the interconnector, but also to the original grid. The Linsan family line allows indeed to export hydroelectric power surplus production of Guinea to the entire region of West Africa, including the Sahel. Um, therefore, it plays an important role in, uh, in promoting perpetrate more reliable and sustainable energy supply, but also regional integration. And so in doing so, the project also contributes to the G5 Sahel and Sahel Alliance priorities. Uh, in fact, as you may know, DIB is one of the members of the Sahel Alliance. And, uh, and so for us, again, uh, you know, that, that connects the dots. And, and for us, it was obvious that um, there was a strong complementary, complementarity sorry, uh, between, between the two projects and uh, we can make one bigger project, I would say, out of the two. Um, a second reason why we decided uh, to, to include the instant family transmission line into the EIB finance interconnector a project, it's because the Linsan formula line constitutes also a bridge between two EIB finance projects, the so-called OMVG, so Organisation de Mise en Valeur du um, Fleuve uh, and CLSG, uh, that are in fact two of the uh, important regional uh, transmission line uh, project, um, yes, promoted by, by the WAP. And therefore, this, the Linsan family line represented one of the missing links in the region's power interconnection network. And one, as again, uh, one of the top priorities of the West African electricity exchange system. Uh, with all that in mind, the bank has then increased the existing loan with an additional uh, Euro 170 million under the same structure, meaning the same borrower, the same promoter, uh, also with the same 25 years duration to implement indeed this additional 340 kilometers Linsan for power transmission line, various substation and the development of the rural electrification network along the transmission line. That's more or less how the project was originated. Thanks very much, Benoit. Goodness, that, that was a long answer. <laughs> it sounds like this is quite an extensive project. Um, thanks for the, the answer there. I, you might have, I think you did touch on some of this, Benoit, but which financial partners is the EIB working with on the transaction? In fact, it depends on, yeah, 
uh, depends on the component you are focusing uh, to. The thing is, um, the initial project, so the interconnector, uh, was its original uh, eco prosperity under the West African Power Pool, and uh, and its total cost was originally originally sorry estimated at uh, 430 million euro, and so. Um, it was, of course, and obviously discussed during uh, the, the WAP donors coordination meeting. And in addition to DIB financing, originally representing 30% of the total project cost, uh, the project was also financed by the World Bank, the African Development Bank, the ECOWAS Bank for Investment and Development, the West African Development Bank, and supplemented by the national budget of both the Republic of Guinea and Mali. It also included um, three million, uh, 30 million euro grants coming from the uh, EU African Investment Platform uh, that was mobilized and managed by uh, the African Development Bank. If you look now uh, at the other component, meaning the Nissan family line, uh, in fact, the transmission line, because of its integration uh, into the former EIB operation, is solely and fully financed by the EIB. All right, thank you very much, Benoit. And just finally, Benoit, before we move on to some questions for Jane, uh, were there any particular challenges associated with closing the financing? For the first component, not really, because um, the financial closing came quickly after we reached a consensus be between the various financing partners about who will finance what. For the instance, for me, there was no real challenge on the financial point of view, as again, we decided to cover the whole thing. The only challenge we faced was on the timing, as we did not want to hinder the running of both the interconnector, but also the Swapiti hydropower plant by further delaying the implementation of the Nissan Formula line. So for us, it was clearly a rush against the clock to make sure that we can appraise, approve, sign, and start implementing the project as soon as we can. Thanks very much, Benoit, and congratulations on a successful transaction. Uh, Jane, if we move on to you now, just to talk about the sector and, and the region a bit more broadly, um, why particularly is the interconnector sector so important to West African energy development? Thank you, Thomas, and it's uh, great to have a chance to discuss to discuss this project. And uh, uh, thank you for inviting us. Um, well, yeah, I mean, it's this is a, this is a very interesting question actually, because I mean, Benoit has explained the details of this individual operation. Uh, linking it also to the West Africa power pool. But now let's take a, a step back and, and, and put it into, into that wider context, as, as you say. So these interconnector projects, I mean, first and foremost, the power sector is the, really the cornerstone of economic development. So um, ensuring uh, reliable and affordable power for citizens is, is really key to uh, to development and ourselves and many of the other uh, many of the other financiers around the table, we all, of course, are sharing that that common objective. Um, so that's the kind of overarching uh, overarching point here. Um, now, specifically for West Africa, historically, the the coastal countries of this region um, were better endowed with energy resources than the landlocked uh, countries of the Sahel. So the coastal countries had uh, greater access to hydropower, uh, to uh, lower cost uh, gas resources and so on. And the interconnector um, sector broadly was really key for uh, balancing that out, uh, uh, supporting the development of networks which would enable these net power exporters to, uh, to share their power with, with the, the countries which had basically no other option except for you know thermal 
uh, electricity generation, those countries further inland. So historically, um, these interconnector projects were key for enabling that uh, balancing out, if you will, between the region's uh, power exporters and, and the, the uh, more um, energy starved countries, let's say, further inland. Um, and the other reason why these increasingly um, such interconnector projects are key is that increasingly you have uh, renewable energy, energy generation uh, uh, accounting for a, a higher and higher percentage of the overall energy generation across the region. And uh, renewable energy can be uh, more intermittent, it can have particular characteristics, which mean the grids need to be adapted to accommodate those uh, energy resource, those types of energy resources. And of course, uh, supporting that wider development on renewable energy is one of the key objectives of, of the European Investment Bank as an institution. Um, so that increase in renewable energy is another reason why these interconnector projects are so key. It's, it's you know, enabling the grids to take, take in more re renewable energy. Um, and then the, the final point on why these interconnector projects are so important is actually looking ahead to the future now and still on the point of renewable energy, but um, I mentioned that historically the coastal countries of this region were the exporters of energy, but actually if we look to the future uh, with the, the advent and, and the, the rise of, of solar, of solar uh, energy um, and initiatives such as the Desert to Power uh, uh, initiative of the African Development Bank, uh, this is a, a, an initiative to develop 10 gigawatts of, uh, of solar by 2025 in the Sahel region, uh, supplying some 250 million people with green electricity. The European Investment Bank is a partner in this initiative. Um, and uh, the, the importance of, of interconnectors remains key in, in making, those, making those projects uh, fruitful, let's say, at a regional level. Um, so for all of those reasons, uh, for all of those reasons, these investments in interconnectors um, are, are critical for yeah for, for across a number of our priorities as an institution thanks very much jane and just talking about the critical investment that is needed in the region um is a great deal of further investment needed to develop the west african power pool and might the eib be interested in future interconnector projects of this kind well, yes, indeed, Thomas. Um, I mean, I think this is a long-term endeavor. You know, I mean, the, the West Africa Power Pool was 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 founded way back in 1999, um, and I mean, as as Benoit has has alluded to, uh, these projects, many of these projects are very complex. Um, it takes it takes a long time to uh, to to convene the right uh, technical expertise and build a bankable investment that. And that, that, that we can then come and support and disperse to and, and see the implementation of over the years. So many of these projects, um, it, yeah, take a long time to develop and then a long time to implement. So um, there's that. And there's also the fact that looking ahead to the future, uh, we would all expect there to be more and more solar energy generation projects uh, being developed in the Sahel. Um, particularly under the auspices of the Desert to Power uh, program led by the African Development Bank, which aims to really, you know, develop the solar energy potential of the Sahel. Um, and, and, and that's going to um, rebalance, if you like, the, 
the you know, historical uh, reality of the energy sector in West Africa, which was that those coastal countries are better endowed with energy resources. In fact, in the future with the rise in solar energy in the Sahel, that may balance out, which of course has consequences then for the investment needs of the, the pan-regional network, uh, which you know, has to accommodate those different sources of energy and, and share them in the right way. Um, so we, we see that, uh, to summarize then, yeah, we see that uh, the projects which we're already engaged in, uh, take, they take the time that they take to, uh, you know, to develop and to implement. And then in the future, uh, there is going to be a, a rise, a very exciting rise you know, in, in, in the solar energy generation uh, further north. So Jane, just thinking about the role of DFIs in financing this area and this sector, um, could blended finance have a role to play in developing the West African power pool? Uh, how possible is it for DFIs like the EIB to support the deployment of private capital in the region? Mm, yes. Um, well, blended finance is important in two respects, I think. I mean, firstly, um, you know, we've mentioned how important it is to uh, convene and to, to uh, build the, 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 the technical aspects of these projects and to to do the rights to do the studies that are needed at the right level of of detail and quality and, and that uh, often is supported through technical assistance uh, grants from various different sources so there so there's that you know the need for uh, the right kinds of technical assistance to uh, build the, 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 bank, the bankability and technical soundness of the project. So that's one element. Then on the private sector element um, and on the, the capacity, if you like, of the European Investment Bank to support private sector investment in this area, I mean, we as an institution do certainly have uh, uh, a number of ways indeed to, to support private sector investment in, in the sector. Of course, some of these operations do lend themselves to project finance and um, we, we are able to, uh, we're able to support those projects and so are many of the other lenders around the table um, uh, to, uh, to finance an operation and structure it as project finance uh, deal. So that's absolutely a possibility. Um, and then, Indeed, um, on the on the smaller scale, um, there are increasingly uh, projects around uh, a kind of low, lower density, more distributed uh, off-grid solar. For example, is becoming very important in the less densely populated parts of this region, um, and that that that's an approach which which can also lend itself to private sector investment be it through private equity funds or through other or through other means so we have a range we have a palette if you like of of financing options for uh, for the private sector opportunities and interests uh, in the energy sector for the region and and again you know uh, something i think which has come through from our conversation um, cooperation with uh, with uh, other lenders and and with the states the the different uh, states here is of course key to to developing such projects um, but definitely as a general point, there are some investments across this spectrum, which are, you know, more at the more at the riskier end of the spectrum. And there we do sometimes need to uh, have a de-risking element in the investment. And um, that's where uh, a grant from, for example, from the European Commission can be really key in, in de-risking uh, um, investments, which are at the more innovative uh, end of the spectrum and uh, helping to catalyze the participation of other investors. So um, I think there, you know, we have a palette of options which is flexible enough to accommodate and accompany 
the, the, the private sector opportunities in this area, Thomas. Thanks very much, Jane. And thank you for giving us such a great overview of the EIB's role in the area and the sector and how the infrastructure is developing in the region. Perhaps if I just circle back to you, Benoit, for one final question, just talking about sustainable development here. I understand that the project has worked very hard to put ESG concerns at kind of the forefront of project development. Do you want to talk to me a little bit about how, in terms of the project development, ESG concerns were, were managed? Thank you, Thomas, for that uh, very interesting question. Um, as you know, the environmental and social standards uh, are very, uh, a really important uh, component of our appraisal. And uh, and so um, we, we aim definitely to to, uh, to to conduct intensive you know consultation notably with uh, with uh, of course the population that will be uh, impacted by the project but also taking into account um, the uh, necessary expertise uh, with regard to the uh, nature and environment uh, that could be impacted by the project as well. The choice of the routes uh, for the transmission lines, um, in fact, aimed to, to limit the crossings of uh, water courses and also to bypass the classified forest in, in Guinea. So taking into account, of course, the, the ecological specificities of these sites. Um, the realization of the interconnection per se will require deforestation of a, of a corridor um, that is uh, uh, 40 meters wide. Uh, uh, by about yeah, almost 600 kilometers in Guinea, because in fact the Nissan Vomit transmission line will will will, will cross the uh, forested Guinea region, uh, and uh, we also have some um, deforestation corridor in Mali. To, to, to mitigate the impacts related to the land clearing, part of the mitigation measures are the uh, reforestation programs uh, that will be implemented um, under this program. In Guinea, this will aim to reforest uh, more than 2,000 hectares of wooded savanna, uh, a bit less than 1,000 hectares of uh, open forest and 200 hectares of dense forest. In Mali, it's a bit different because, of course, of the uh, uh, specificities of the environment. But here, uh, the project will aim to reforest uh, almost 600 hectares of wooded savanna. Of course, uh, because it is, again, an important component of our appraisal, but also in terms of uh, monitoring, uh, we'll have indicators that will be established within the framework of the, 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 the project to ensure that, you know, um, to ensure a proper execution and, and the consistency with the clearing uh, carried out. Um, but land clearing is not all. Uh, of course, the project also has some impact uh, on the avifauna. And, um, and for that, of course, over mitigation measures will be uh, implemented. And uh, some will include, in fact, the installation of the uh, avifauna beacons on the guard wire of, on the most sensitive section of the line. Um, the, the first year following the construction, um, we aim to, to, to implement an orthonic ecological monitoring program in coordination with BirdLife International or any other recognized uh, NGO. Um, over specific measures uh, are also recommended based on particular risk and impact that may have been identified during uh, the appraisal. As an example, measures such as mitigating impacts on primates will include the construction of protective cages at the most exposed spillands. 
Now, with regard to the local communities that are likely to be impacted by the project, um, of course, we have, as I mentioned earlier, we have conducted several consultations with them in order to identify the main concerns. And of course, uh, one of them is the physical displacement, as well as the access to electricity. So um, the compensation for the economic and physical displacement are addressed through the resettlement framework policy that has been prepared and further addressed in the uh, resettlement action plan. And the concerns related to the access to electricity are addressed through the electrification of the rural communities that have been added uh, to the project. And uh, one maybe last important thing is that during the implementation of the project, of course, the bank will ensure that the promoter will undertake the appropriate settlement and rural electrification access as uh, envisaged um, during the project appraisal. Thanks very much, Benoit, and thank you to both you and Jane for joining me for what has been undoubtedly a fascinating discussion today. Thank you once again to Benoit and Jane for joining me on the podcast. Before we end today, I would just like to remind you about Proximo's upcoming Financing America's Infrastructure virtual event on the 12th of May and our upcoming webinar on the LIBOR transition and its implications for the project finance market on the 20th of May. Register for both the event and the webinar on our website at proximoinfra.com. That's all we have time for today, but join me again next week for more project finance, energy and infrastructure news and analysis. (laughs) 